Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 6 through 9. For the next eight weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Why are we going to talk about prayer? Historically in the church, if you go from the year 200 all the way up to today, there's three portions of Scripture or teaching that are always taught. The Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed. Why these three? As you look in the history of the church, when you see revivals break out, it's typically when there's a power in prayer, a pursuit of holiness, and a passion for doctrine. We want to see revival. We're going to start by talking about prayer. And if Jesus taught us how to pray, I think we might want to listen. Now before I'm going to ask you this question every week. What is prayer? There's a million ways to define prayer. I'm going to define it in this way. Prayer is offering up our desires to God for things in accordance to His will. Prayer is offering up our desires to God for things in accordance to His will. We'll see how that plays out over the next seven weeks. So let's pick that up today in our sermon in a sentence. Ask your Father. Ask your Father. Let's pray and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, as we come to a, a, a portion of the Bible that has been preached since the foundation of the church, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us a fresh eyes to see, that we'd receive it in faith and love, that we would lay these words in our hearts, that we would practice them in our very lives. We cannot do this unless your spirit works in us. And I pray that would be the case today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now I'm going to make Kendall very happy this morning. Uh, when you've learned the Lord's Prayer in the King James Version since the age of 13, it doesn't matter what you read. You're going to read it in the King James. So if you're reading the ESV, just bear with me. Pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. How many of us have heard cliche statements about prayer? You know, I love it when people say this. Prayer is like breathing. If prayer was like breathing, I would be suffocating some weeks, wouldn't we? <coughs> or they say things like this. Oh, prayer is so easy. If prayer is so easy, why have I never met someone satisfied with their prayer life? Martin Luther used to say that if he had a busy day, he'd spend an extra hour in prayer. And you think, wow, what a Christian. 
But then you read his journal a week later and he's like, God, forgive me. I haven't prayed all week. Prayer is hard. And I can prove that prayer is hard. How? Easy. God incentivizes prayer. I don't have to beg someone to eat a whole bag of kettle corn. Just saying. But you do have to bribe somebody to eat healthy. You've got to incentivize it. You've got to put things, rewards before them. Because it's hard. Prayer is hard. And Jesus knows this and he gives us an incentive to pray. And it's in these very words. Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus incentivizes prayer in a most simple and profound way. And let's pick up that thought this morning. Ask our Father. Ask our Father. We can ask Him this morning because He is willing and He is able. He is willing and He is able. Notice Jesus says it like this. Our Father who art in heaven. When you think of God, is Father the first thing that pops up? Typically, our first instinct when we think of God is a wrathful, angry old man. Some of us grew up with fathers like this. And so we project this image onto God. Other times, it's because simply we're sinners. Satan's first lie was that God was a stingy, mean God. And that has been the image that our hearts have held up ever since. But the words, Father, the fact that Jesus starts this prayer with Father should be surprising to us. Jesus could have said, our Creator in heaven. He could have said, our Lord in heaven. He could have said, our Judge in heaven. Why does Jesus start with the word, Father? It's because God knows our hesitancy to come to Him. He knows that we define Him as a wrathful God. And He invites us to define Him on His own terms. As a willing Father. God says, I am willing because I am merciful. I am willing because I am merciful. In 2 Corinthians 1, God is known as the Father of mercies. Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lowly says, This is the Bible's way of taking us into the deepest recesses of who God the Father is. He is a Father of mercies. And we see this in Psalm 103. God says, I made known my acts to Moses. And I made known my ways to the people of Israel. How did God make himself known to these grumbling, complaining, sinful, aggravating people? Well, he tells us. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You see, many of us have fallen into terrible sin. Mistakes have filled us with shame and regret. Episodes that devolve into tears untold. And do you know what happens in these moments? 
We no longer pray, Our Father who art in heaven. We pray, Our Judge who art in heaven. And when we begin to pray that prayer, we stop praying. We're filled with a sense of inadequacy. That we cannot darken the doors of God's throne room. That God has cast us out forever. He is no longer a willing and merciful God, but He is an exacting and wrathful judge. Instead of letting God define God, we try to define God. And what's amazing to me is Paul is like, you're absolutely right. You've blown it. Paul in Ephesians 2 says, hey, Bubba, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You followed the course of this world. You did what Satan wanted you to do. But then he makes this wonderful turn and he says, but through the cross of Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled to God and now you have access through the Spirit to the Father. To the Father. We only have the grounds to call God our Father because of our union with Jesus Christ. That we're adopted because of what Christ has done. Christ endured God as the wrathful judge so that we would know Him as a merciful Father. And we see this. John over and over records Jesus saying, the Father sent me. The Father sent me. The Father sent me. Why did the Father send Him? Before the foundations of the world, God looked at sinful man and He said, I am merciful. Peter says that Jesus was foreknown before the foundations of the world and manifested at this time for you. That God sent Jesus Christ because the Father is a willing Father. And He's merciful. Now you might say to yourself, Zach, I mess up a lot. I get into a lot of shenanigans. God can't obviously put up with me through all, maybe one big time, but what about all my continuing shenanigans? God is a willing father because he is merciful, but he's also compassionate. Let me read something from Hosea 11. God says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. Do you remember teaching your child how to walk? Do you remember them scampering away from you and you scooping them up under their arms? It's a joyous moment, isn't it? That's one of the highlights of having a young child. But let me go on. God says, I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yokes of their jaws, and I bent down to feed them. Do you remember going to baseball games, soccer games, watching TV shows you really don't want to? How many episodes of Space Buddies have you watched with your children? 
How much college have you paid for? Why do we, how much love, how many obstacles have you removed for your children because you love them? This is the love and sacrifice of a father. But God ends this way. My people are bent on turning from me. Israel doesn't just blow it once. Israel is determined to blow it over and over and over. How is God going to respond? Is he going to wash his hands? Is he going to be angry? Is he going to change all the locks to the, to the doors of heaven? Is he going to cancel their car insurance? What's he going to do? God says this. How can I give you up? How can I hand you over? My heart recalls within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath. These are the words of a compassionate Father. Herman Witsius says that every human emotion has a very narrow bounds. And when you compare the love of a father to God, it is seen as miserably poor. How many times have we played the same game with our children and we continue to do it? How many discipline issues do we continue to go through? I talk with parents who have spent thousands upon thousands on their wayward children, opening their doors to them to come back home, and they do it over and over. Why? Because we love our children. Because we're compassionate to our children. And this is a miserable example of God's infinitely greater compassion to us. Years ago, I read a story about a family who adopted a baby from Kenya. Baby could not cry. Why? Because the baby was in an orphanage. And no matter how much the baby cried, no one would come and give the baby what the baby needed. So the baby just stopped crying. No one was coming anyway. Well, the baby was adopted by a young American family, and the baby started crying again. It wasn't that the baby learned how to cry. It was that the baby learned how to be loved. Jesus is very emphatic here. Unless you know the mercy and compassion of your father, unless you understand how willing he is to hear you, we will never pray. But the God who gave up his son for us, will he not also give us all things? Mercy on our sins, compassion on our shortcomings, and love in all places in between. What are we waiting for today? Ask your father. He is willing. So ask your father. Who's your father? Well, first, he's a willing father, but that's only half the equation. You've got to have an able father. 
He is willing and He is able. Notice that Jesus says, Our Father who art in heaven. You come to Heinz, you come out here at night, and if you dodge the bats and coyotes and the things that go bump in the night, and you sit outside and you look at the stars, where do the heavens end? You see no end. The heavens go as far as you can possibly imagine. Or do you remember when you were younger? Did any of you ever try to race the clouds? Did you ever win? I sure didn't. Why? The heavens are so far above us. If something as light and fluffy as a cloud overpowers us, how much more power does our Father who art in heaven? Our Father is an able Father because He has all the power of heaven. What do we mean when we say God's power? God's power is His strength to get things done. My, one of my favorite passages is Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And if you come out here one night and you look at the stars, Isaiah 40 says God sits in the heavens and looks at us like ants. And God says, you see all these stars? I call them out by name because of my great power. Our able Father has all the power. Some of you might have went to the county fair yesterday. If you did, you probably took some money. That dollar bill you hold represents your purchasing power. Some of you might have experienced, you go, you check out at the grocery store, and your card is declined. Why is your card declined? You've ran out of buying power. Your power has a limit. God, however, his card has never declined. He's got a master card that's accepted everywhere. His power is infinite, and he does whatsoever he pleases. But more than the power he has, think about where his power comes from. If I can pick on Justin, uh, if Justin has no clients, then Tammy will have no food. He is dependent on clients to make money. What is God dependent on? Justin needs clients to have buying power. God needs no one to have power. He is self-sufficient. Self-sustainable. He is independent. When we pray, our Father who art in heaven, we are praying to a God whose power is limitless and comes from Himself. He is a powerful Father who is able. But more than having power, God has authority. Our able Father has authority. Power is the ability. Authority is the boundaries. You buy a TV from Best Buy. It doesn't work. We know what happens, don't we? You take it into the store and you say, I'd like to exchange this TV. And the first joker you walk up to is going to say, Oh, that's not my department. He has the power, but he doesn't have the authority. He's out of his jurisdiction. 
So you go to the store manager and you say, store manager, I need to return this TV and get a new one. And the store manager says, I can't do that. The vendor requires it to be looked at by a technician first. Now, you know good and well that store manager's got the ability to change that TV out. But his power is bound by a higher authority. Does that happen with God? Look at the heavens. Do you see boundaries and borders? Do you see barbed wire fence and armed guards? No. God's kingdom rules over all. Nations he wields like axes in his hands. Kingdoms are like water in his hands. God, our Father, looks at us and says, I have all the power and authority in heaven. Trust me. Many times we struggle in our life because we're like the young boy whom him and his daddy were walking through the woods and he said, son, I want you to move that log. And the boy bends down and he goes, oh, I can't pick it up. And the daddy says, son, you're not using all your strength. Oh, daddy, I'm trying. Son, you're not using all your strength. And he finally put it, stopped and said, Daddy, why do you keep running your mouth like that? I'm trying as hard as I can. And he said, Son, no, you're not. You haven't asked me for help. We look at many problems in our life, wayward children, broken marriages, regret, temptation. We wonder how the church is going to survive in the 21st century. The problems seem insurmountable. And yet, God reminds us that He has all the power and authority. Nothing is impossible. We must ask our Father in heaven. He is able. Now let's ask the most important question of any sermon. So what? So what? How do I apply this to my life on an everyday basis? Let me give some insight from our own shorter catechism. It says this, We are to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a father, able and ready to help us, and that we should pray with and for others. Let me give you three things. First, Be encouraged to ask of your Father. Jesus reminds us that we have a Father willing and able to help us. We must believe both if we are to pray. I wonder if we pray so little because we know so little about God. John Calvin says that prayer flows from doctrine. Spend some time meditating on God's name, on his titles, on his works, on his words, on the events from the Bible. We see things like God recovering a lost axe head. Not very important. But God listened. We see God redeeming fallen man from sin. That's that's a big thing. And God does that too. Two weeks ago, Zoe lost her favorite frog, not real, in the yard. 
And after being frustrated, she stopped and prayed. And guess what? Found the frog. Not very important. But our Heavenly Father is willing and able to hear things big and small. If I can paraphrase Francis Ridley Havergale. Little or big, you can bring them both down to your Father's feet. And you can find them alone with Jesus. Mysteriously sweet. Be encouraged to ask your Father. Now I want you to ask, I want you to do a second thing. Ask your father like your father. Now what do I mean by that? Let's say you grew up in a conservative home. You don't drink, you don't smoke, and you, you don't dance, and you don't go with the girls that do. Your dad wants you to be home at 9 o'clock every night. You're not going to roll up to your dad and say, Dad... I really want to get hammered with the boys tonight. Can I stay out till three in the morning? He won't even ask that question. Why? Because you know your father. Jesus teaches us to address God as father because he wants our wills and desires to match our fathers. So often we pray along the lines of health, wealth, and happiness. This is what the world prays for. This, as D.A. Carson calls, is the paganization of Christianity. Health, wealth, and happiness may make a better condition, but they don't make a better man. Jesus teaches us to pray our Father's will. What does He pray? That we would be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man. That we would know the love of Christ that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that we would bear fruit, that we would grow in grace and knowledge, that we would be holy when we pray to our Father. Let us ask our Father like our Father. Lastly, ask of our Father for your brothers. You notice Jesus doesn't say, my Father, MJ's Father, Kendall's father, no. He says, our father. Because you know what happens, don't you? You sit down to pray. And you pray for yourself, your job, your health, your spiritual growth. And then you say, oh, and by the way, bless Justin. Amen. That's what we do. We're very selfish in our prayers. But Jesus models something different. In John 17, Jesus prays for his glory. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for you. Let me encourage you. Do you look, look around this room? There are folks here that need prayer. Some of us need it more than others. Our Father reminds us that we should pray for our brothers. Think of it like concentric circles. You pray for yourself, your family, your church family, and then the world. But let me challenge you. As I said earlier, we pray so little to God because we know so little about God. We pray so little for our family and our friends because we know so little about them. I encourage you all today, before you leave, go up to somebody and say, how can I pray for you? And write it down. You're going to forget. And the next time you see them, if I can use my 
lovely wife as an example, say, Jessica, uh, I've been praying for your crazy husband. How's that working out? And she'll say, he's still crazy. And then you can say, well, what else can I be praying for? You would be surprised how your prayer life will grow. There are people hurting in this church. Some are hurting so much they find it hard to even pray. It is our job as a church family to pray with them and for them to ask of our Father on their behalf. Now let me close with this. Question 26 of the Holleberg Catechism says this. We know that God provides all things necessary, both body and soul. And further, whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears, he will turn it out for my advantage. For he is able to do it, being the Almighty God, and willing, being the faithful Father. As we start this sermon series, let me ask, do you pray? If you do not, that is a clear sign you do not know your Father in heaven. Do you know Him? Have you come to know Him through Christ? Do you have fellowship with the Father and the Son in prayer? This is a question we must ask because our Father is willing and able. And if you ask of Him, He will redeem you from your sins and give you new life in Christ. If you do know Him, what are you praying for? As I mentioned Zoe's frogs earlier, we can think of things tiny and small. Bring them all to God. Write them down. Make a list. Do something. What is holding us back? The most powerful being in the universe loves you. He is your Father. Meditate on your good Father today and ask of your Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us a clearer view of who you are, that we may love you, that we may trust you, that we may obey you, that we may pour our very hearts out to you. And as we bring to you some things that we have brought to you for the last 25 years, Father, would you continue to listen and would you act on our behalf? Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.